0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a teaching with TBA rabbinic resident Jackie
1: Honig. This coming week's Parsha that we just read is Ki Tetzay, which if you have had a chance to preview or know from past years has a ton of vote in it. Um, I Googled it because I was very curious and didn't want to count on my own. <laughs> there are 74 means vote in this week's Parsha. Wow. Um, so there's a lot to pick from. Um, I feel like I could have spent the time just like listing and being like, did you know this was in the Torah <laughs> in Parsha at Ki um, But I decided not to. Um, so because one of this year's themes at TVA is Shemitah, I thought it would be interesting to talk about Kilaim, about mixtures um, specifically of plants um it also you'll see in the sources um it talks about more than that but we're going to focus on plants um we're going to take sort of a journey through the sources um and focus on sort of what is the modern 2021 answer to this question about about um the tshuva that this is that this a lot of this came out of is based on is about gmos and genetically modified organisms but some of the earlier sources predate um gene splicing because you know who knew um I will pause for questions, you can just like raise your hand or you can unmute yourself it seems and just like yell out and interrupt me. Um, I will make the disclaimer that I'm not a scientist, so you can try science questions but may or may not know how they work, exactly. Um, So I'm going to start with a quote from this week's Parsha, which is the Devarim chapter 22 verses 9 through 11, if you don't have this you and have a clinician in front of you. I'm going to read it just in English. You shall not sow your vineyard with a second kind of seed, else the crop from the seed you have sown and the yield of the vineyard may not be used. You shall not plow with an ox and an ass together. You shall not wear cloth combining wool and linen. So in this original source, we've got three um, separate prohibitions of mixing. We've got plants, animals, and garment, types of fabric and garments. Um, This is technically a recap. We saw this earlier. Um, in Vayikra chapter 19, verse 19, um, it says, and I'll read it, You shall observe my laws. You shall not let your cattle meet with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. You shall not put on cloth from a mixture of two kinds of material. So we're seeing this is, as with a lot of Dvarim, this is a recap of something we saw earlier. And this is like Moshe's reminder, his big final Jewish goodbye. You know, we're going to take a whole book for it. Um and we're getting a recap of a lot of things we've seen earlier. So, like I said before, this focuses also on animals and materials, but I'm really gonna focus in on plants. Um, so there's a question of like, are are you allowed to do this? Like what are the implications of this? Like it seems very clear, like, don't do this thing. Um, and so there's some kind of some kind of argument against it. So Ramam on the Leviticus verse writes Thus, one who combines two different species thereby changes and defies the work of creation, as if he is thinking that the Holy One, blessed be He, has not completely perfected the world and desires to help along in the creation of the world by adding to it new kinds of creatures. So Ramban seems pretty Ramban, excuse me, seems pretty clear. Like, don't do this. Like, this feels very clear. Um, and something interesting. So so Ramban says that on this verse. So then the next source is from Shulchan Aruch. So is, as Rabbi Shatt said this morning, is the where a lot of our laws come from. Again, it doesn't talk directly about GMOs, as it doesn't talk about Zoom, um, <laughs> but it does offer some wisdom for our day. Um, so Shulchan Aruch in Yoridea says, it is forbidden to maintain kilayim, these forbidden mixtures, but the fruit produced thereby is permitted, even to him who transgressed and produced the hybrid. It is permitted to take a branch from the hybrid and plant it elsewhere. Um, so that's from the Shulchan Aruch, And then we have Mishnah Torah, though I realize I think historically I've got these out of order. So sorry about that. Um, but Mishnah Torah by Rambam gives us two, two sections about this permissibility. So the only seeds in which the laws of mixing seeds are applied are the ones fit to be eaten by a person. So Raman's giving us an exception, again, of where you're allowed to use it. But the bitter herbs and others, which uses medicine and not food, and so on, to those, these laws do not apply. So it's giving us another, like, it seems really clear-cut to start with, but then it's giving us this, you know, another exception, excuse me. Um, And again, this Mishnah Torah now, in Hilchot Kilaim, gives us one who plants mixed seeds, as well as one who grafts one tree, who grafts trees onto one another, although he is lashed, the, they, the produce, are nonetheless permitted to be eaten, including the one who planted them himself, because the prohibition only applies to planting them. It is also permitted to plant a branch from a grafted tree and to sow seeds from a plant that was originally from mixed planting. So in other places in Halakha, the one who transgresses is not allowed to benefit um, a really classic example cited, I believe actually it was cited by Rabbi Nevins, was that if you cook on Shabbat, you can't then eat it. You can't be like, oh, I like did a thing I shouldn't, but now I'm going to eat this really delicious brisket that I cooked Saturday afternoon. Um, even if you only, so that's like the, the deraita from the Torah, you can't cook on Shabbat. Even if you transgress the rabbinic prohibition that you tell a non-Jew to cook for you, which you still can't do on Shabbos, you still can't eat it on Shabbos. So we have this like very clearly, normally, if you transgress, you're not allowed to use it. Um, so I want to pause for a minute and take if there are questions or thoughts on this, like why might it be allowed or like does this strike you as interesting, different like thoughts so far along the way?
2: I'm not a scientist, but when I read stuff like this, I think of two things, seedless watermelons and honeycrisp apples. And what okay. I mean by... What I mean by that is, is that when I was a kid, I never knew a watermelon that didn't have seeds in it. I'm 60 years old. And I'm saying is that and I never recalled ever seeing a honeycrisp apple. So we clearly, you know, engage in in various uh, uh, machinations of uh, plants in our actual lives.
1: Yeah, definitely. I did. not So I knew about CeeLo's watermelons. I did not know Honeycrisp apples were like a new development. I will confess I'm really spoiled. I lived in Michigan for a year and a half. And like the apples there are the best apples I've ever eaten in my life. And they're like fresh and cheap and delicious. And I don't think I've like eaten apples since because like Honeycrisp apples, they're, they're really good. Um. So thank you genetic modification for my Honeycrisp apples um, and God for allowing us to do these things. Um. So, yeah, so clearly this is a thing that we do. Um, So I think it's really interesting. I'm going to, unless anyone has any other thoughts, I'm going
3: to move on to from Rabbi Nevin. Um, But isn't isn't it okay to have honey crisp apples and to have seedless watermelon because it's something you're going to eat? Isn't that what we just learned? Yeah. Okay. So it's fine because, it's not because it's something you're going to eat. It's
1: because you, even the one who did the key line, who did the mixing, is allowed, is permitted it. Even though it seems clear that you're not, and so the question is why?
3: Why? But it says in the Mishnah Torah the only seeds in which the laws of mixing seeds apply are the ones fit to be eaten by a person. So I guess all I'm saying is, isn't it okay to create a Honeycrisp apple, or to, which I just ate today, and is delicious? Um, or and is it okay to create water uh, seedless <laughs> watermelon? I was going to say waterless <laughs> <with> seedless seedless <laughs> melon. Um, oh. because. But- because it's something that you know that you're going to be eating later on. Isn't that what that's the mission is? Right. So Mishnah Torah yes. here is
1: talking about that you're allowed to do it for bitter herbs and medicine and not food in 1-4. Yeah. Yeah. And then 1-7 is saying that you're allowed to eat. You get lashed for it, but then you're allowed to eat it.
0: Does the Torah say why you can't? why these things can't be mixed?
1: no it's considered one of the phukim. so the verse right before which I don't have in front of me but it's interesting that you ask that Well, now I'm going to look it up because I want to read it to you before it and I think if I remember correctly if not then it's somewhere else uh, hold on I'm in joke team I'm real close it's
3: 22
1: 8 specifically names it as Okay, it's not in here, maybe it was before the Leviticus verse, in one of these places, oh, it's in the very verse, sorry, it's staring me in the face, et chukotai tishmeru, so it specifically calls it a hook. so often when we talk about categories of Jewish law, we have hukim and mishpatim, we have our mishpatim that, like, sort of makes sense, like, don't murder and honor your parents, and then we have the chukim are the things we do, like, stand because God says so, and so it's really invoked here that this is a thing that you should do because God says so.
2: One of the things that I, I might struck me when I read this was that there's so many things in Judaism that are characterized by separateness. You know, we separate milk from meat. We separate the Shabbat from the week. We separate wool from linen. So we're separating, you know, the making sure that, you know, we, we, we do this. So we see this a lot, but I, when I first read this, I wanted to say that I viewed this as being limited to vineyards. I mean, if you look at the first statement, you shall not sow your vineyard with a second kind of seed. I didn't, I mean, I, I, it's interesting. They expanded it to food and all these types of things, but it seemed like it was specifically talking in in the Torah to vineyards, which really doesn't touch, you know, unless you're making wine out of apples or something, you know.
1: So. It's interesting. So two thoughts on what you're saying. So one in so this very verse is the repetition of what we saw in VaYikra, and in VaYikra it says, "Sancha lo tizrad." tizra So it originally talks about field, and then in the repetition and varim in this piece Parsha, we get the vineyard. So it does give us both. Um But something to your first point, though, something I think a lot about in Judaism um, is the rabbis really like binaries. Like, the rabbis really like either, like, they really like tov vera, and they really like this, like, concept of you're either this or this that you're either a horse or a donkey like i never considered it in this way though that like the the rabbis might have like iffy feelings on like mules and like how it's so baked into our system um that gives me like so much to think like i'm gonna be thinking about that for a while i think a lot about what are the binaries that the torah and the rabbis really give us um and how in 2021 so many of them are like not 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 the way that we walk in the world in the same way that they did,
3: but I wonder if with animals it's different because the way that a mule is produced like could happen on their own, whereas ke the human needs to produce that combination or shotness, right like the human needs to put the things together, whereas like to. Two species can mate and create another species without us telling them to. So I wonder if that's a different... If I mean, I, I agree with the binaries piece. I just wonder if that's a, that's a, um, that's a distinction that the Torah is making, that uh, even though it says you shall not let your cattle mate with a different kind, that they're not as worried about if that happens, you know, what category that animal is in, but because the seeds... Could if you plant them close to one another, they're going to germinate. That's your fault for planting them so close to one another, though. Um, so maybe that's,
2: maybe that's isn't that the reason why they you can't plow your field with an ox and a in a donkey together, you know, or something? Because the the likelihood that something might happen between the onks and the ass. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is, and, so, and the command is you should not let your cattle mate with a different kind right, right. implication being it's you have to exert some control over these animals or they right. might mate with each other and produce something that god never intended so yeah.
3: Yeah. you
2: know i mean that that's how i read that but yeah. it, you know but cuz i'm like thinking white can and ox in, a, in a, a donkey plow together what does it matter you know yes, right.
1: right. that's
3: mixed dancing brand right. it's mixed dancing
1: well, it was interesting because I was reading on it, and I didn't necessarily want to go down the animal, just because the animal is actually a lot more complicated of a question because it has to do with, like, it, it comes, sorry, like, the suffering right. of animals comes up, so it's, like, a different direction, but I was doing some reading on it, and the reason you can't let them plow, you can't have them plow together is because then you would store them in the same barn, and then they might come to dance together. There yeah. might be some, like, mixed dancing, mixed dancing so, <laughs> yeah. Well, Any,
2: we all know we're mixed dancing leads.
1: yeah Yeah, exactly um so coming back to the question of like why is this allowed because i also thought it was very interesting like i definitely learned a lot of like once you transgress like you can't use it anyway so like don't do it um so rabbi nevins i'm not gonna read the whole thing word for word i don't know if anyone else has ever read true by rabbi nevins but they are wonderful and dense and you know in a lot but they're great um but his answer basically is, is that there's no way to tell, and I think it's funny that you brought up Honeycrisp apples. That I was like, oh, I had no idea. Um, and so they actually, he actually thinks that it was a he he postures that it was a leniency um, that there was no way to know at the marketplace if this fruit came from a from a like if it was a mixture or if it was just a regular piece of fruit, um, which in today's world is interesting because like seedless watermelon is clearly so distinct from a regular watermelon. But I'll be honest, I don't need a lot of watermelon. I don't know that, like, I could... If it wasn't labeled, which they don't... I'm assuming they didn't have, like, the cute, like, Trader Joe's artists in the ancient world. Um, I couldn't look at a melon and tell you if it had seeds or not. Um, and so he, like, postures that that's where it comes from. And he brings up the example of tithing, that also you needed to make sure your fruit was tithed, but that you could do after. If you weren't sure, you could go back and you could tithe it. Um, but there's no fixing it. There's no coming back from... Um, from it having been produced in a way that you can't use it, um, which I thought was really interesting that the rabbis ultimately at the end of the day have this eye towards how do we walk in the world um, both as, especially the I feel like the rabbis even more so than people in times of Torah, like how do we walk in this world in a diaspora world, um, and we see this here I think really of um, uh, the rabbis had to give a leniency because if not they would have really struggled to find the food that they needed um, so there's, so we're going to jump a little bit. So that's kind of the basis of where it comes from. There's kind of our basis of Torah, Mishnah Torah Shulchan Aruch of like what, where's the, where's the, what does the old world tell us? Um, but then the, the old world doesn't have a lot to say specifically about the question of like genetically modified organisms. As fascinating as it is, they had no concept it was going to happen. Um, so when addressing it in this tshuva, Rabbi Nevins prefaces a little bit with there's two. When it comes to novel questions of halacha, there are two different approaches. There's legal formalism and values-informed, um, or purposive legal interpretation. That is the word I wrote it down, so I wouldn't butcher it. Um, so the Tiferet tefer- Israel um, gives us the legal formulas, re- legal formalism argument. Excuse me, and he says. For regarding any manner where there is no known reason to forbid it, then it is permitted without necessitating a reason, for the Torah did not mention the entire range of permitted actions, only those things that are prohibited. So he basically comes in and says, Torah didn't say, don't genetically modify your fruit, have at it. Um, Which I think, at least for me in 2021, feels really, for me, it feels very challenging. I can't imagine even in the deepest of deepest Bible codes where they would have been like, it's allowed to use zoom on Shabbos or it's allowed to eat seedless water mallet. And so for me, like this argument, I find challenging. Um, so the other argument that he lays out is a values, um, informed decision. And it ends up having a lot of ethical questions. So he talks about, you can genetically modify three kind of sorts of cat broad categories. Um, So you can genetically modify plants and animals, uh, plants. So we have lots of genetically modified, like, corn nowadays, um, that grows bigger and stronger and is more resistant to pests. Um, you can genetically modify animals. Um, so first of all, you can clone an animal like Dolly the sheep that I was fascinated by as a child. Um, but you can do that and then you get into genetically modifying humans, um and they all sort of fall under this question of Kilaim of like this is the closest thing it falls under, of like this is where the Torah went with with blending things. Um so um so in talking about humans, sorry, I just flipped over my source sheet, and it is
3: Oh
1: sorry. <laughs> it's right, I was just like, huh, what did I write next? And we'll see what happens. Um so um so in the Tshuva, Rabbi Nevins talks a lot about like the concept of eugenics when it comes to genetically modifying humans, um, so that's like a totally different set of questions, um, but he really comes back, I really wanted to focus it in on plants, and the implications are really different, so the reason that, that people nowadays genetically modify plants, generally, from my understanding, has to do with um, the ability to produce more crop, to produce it more easily, it becomes less water dependent, um, like rice, you can now grow more rice. I think in some things they've extended the season, Um, and this really hangs on. um, It really, really hangs on the fact that you can that it's permitted um, in all of these ancient um, sources. Um, I do, yeah. Yeah. So there's also a shuba that's super interesting, also a little bit dense um, on. Sorry, one second. It's called Curiouser and Curiouser, which it took me a really long time to find it because that's the name of it, and it's about um, the root of genetically organized mm-hmm. food theft by Rabbi Avraham Israel Reisner. Um, and he, again, it's very long. I put the whole thing here if it's, like, interesting to you. Um, but in summation, basically he... So as early as the Tosefta, these prohibited the products of the prohibited mixing were allowed. It's from very early sources. Um, And so he comes back and says that, like, that that was clearly forbidden was then permitted to them. It was clearly forbidden to put your seeds in the same pot and then grow a tree from it. Um, If that was so clearly forbidden, but the fruit of that tree was permitted all the more so that genetic engineering that's not covered in horror, that's not this very direct act of seed and seed and in the same row, um, is permitted, um, even for Jews, that Jews can do this act of genetically engineering plants and foodstuffs. Um, he doesn't really talk about, he doesn't talk about humans at all, um, but he does a little bit talk about animals. I just want to point to number three, his conclusion at the end, um, on the matter of gross changes in the characteristics by which species are recognized, it remains necessary to engage in further study and consideration. So he also kind of gives similar but different to Remain and basically says like plants have at it. Like you want to genetically modify your corn and your rice and your Honeycrisp apples, like go for it. Um, but he also really um, is not into the animal thing. Um, I'm going to pause one more time for like, I have one more conclusion, but I want to pause question.
2: But- he, he said that, uh, in number two, he says nothing appears more crassly commercial than engineering for greater shelf life, which is very interesting to me because, you know, it doesn't take, uh, and everybody on this thing knows that we ha- that there's a huge increase in celiacs and gluten allergies and things like that directly correlates with the introduction of the new wheat grain that we grow in the United States that not everybody uses. And we used to grow a totally different wheat, but the new wheat grain, which is genetically engineered, is not particularly good for you. I mean, it stores well and it feeds the world and we export it, but it's not the same grain that our grandparents ate. And it just kind of happened. And all I'm saying is, is that we'll, just because we can do it doesn't necessarily make it good for us. And that's a totally different question. Yeah,
1: for sure. I think more So the Chuva I wish I'd written the year down, but the Chuva by Rabbi Reisner was, uh, I want to say like the late 90s or the early, I want, I'm going to say 1997, but don't quote me on it, it's online. Um, And so it was a much earlier, it was much, much, it was a much earlier consideration. I would encourage you if you enjoy Science and Torah and the Intersection to read it's, like, 50 pages, though, by Rabbi, by Rabbi Nevins, but he talks about that a lot more. And he is really—and it's something, like, worth knowing about, about like, tshukvot and halakhic decisions in general. Like, really often we're talking about, like, halacha, Like, what does the halacha say about it? And it's not saying, is this a good idea or is it a bad idea? The question is, really, are you allowed to do it? Um, but Rabbi Nevins does talk more about, like, about what are the health considerations and we don't know and stuff. His is much more modern.
2: I had Nevins for Halakha in at Wexner. It was my instructor. That's Amazing.
1: He, so you've yeah, read his yeah. writing and know yeah. it is wonderful, and it is it's great. Though I learned so much about about genetically modified organisms this week. Anyone else have any thoughts? Anything striking? Anything interesting?
0: two thoughts. One is I'm fascinated by that difference that was highlighted, I think, first by Brandt's question about how Leviticus actually mentions just a general field, you know, like other kinds of crops and the vineyard specifically. And I think there's a read there, right? Like don't do Klaim, for example, in the Deuteronomy version in your vineyard. But what exactly is Klaim in that case is not so clearly defined, right like what is is it if you mix two kinds of grapes, is that the forbidden mixture, or is it bringing something into the vineyard that doesn't belong in a vineyard, and that's what creates havoc? so like how far down the road do you go as to like what constitutes actually constitutes the forbidden mixture? I think is an interesting question and we've gotten at it a little bit in different ways in the discussion. And the other thing I'm thinking of is like a little bit of like, be careful what you wish for. Um, Like I remember the first time I tasted cherry tomatoes and, you know, I was a youngish kid and like, they were so sweet and fabulous. And I feel like over time. Time that we eat today are not those fresh cherry tomatoes I had as a kid. And I think a lot of like these hybrid fruits, there's something like when they're first produced, they're delicious, but how like, um, digging about, you know, if there's something to, you know, preserving species and seeds happen.
1: Yeah. To your first point, your first point was about. Sorry. Okay. Wait. I'm gonna do the second point first because while it's in my head, Um, I think from a just from like a scientific perspective, like it's interesting because like that's technically like how DNA works. Like as you make more copies, it degrades, and so I'm curious if that ends up like affecting things like down the line. Like I don't know, and I think that's interesting. Um, And then your first point was oh was about the specificity of the vineyard versus the field. Um, And again, in what I was reading, I know one of the concerns, and I don't remember who brought it out. But one of the concerns was creating something that couldn't be perpetuated, and so like, and I was talking to, um, I was talking to a friend about this, and we we're talking about like selective breeding of like dogs. Like people breed dogs nowadays for like weird characteristics. Like some of them are like cuteness, and some of them are like very specific like show dogs. Um, but it, that dog is still a dog, and so it's really not a problem. But they're concerned about the continuation of the line. And so I would, again, I don't know how exactly the science works, but I'd imagine like grapes and grapes, if you put two grapes together, you're still gonna have a grape that can have baby grapes, which is not the right way to say it, but like that will continue that line. Um, Whereas like with animals, it gets more complicated. Um, And especially back in the day, like I always learned that mules are sterile, which uh, in the reading I just read might not be the case. Um, and so they seem to be really concerned about the continuity of species with with fruits and vegetable with produce and also really with animals like that's really where that question comes into play I think about what are the limits of what you can mix. Um, but I think it's an interesting question and it starts to break down a little bit more of that binary like if you could put two types of grapes together but you can't put like strawberries and grapes together like it's an interesting breakdown of that binary. Anyone else?
2: I just want to say I don't think the rabbis were ever concerned with what's healthy for you. I, I don't think I don't think that's their concern. I think that's your judgment whether or not you want to eat grass-fed beef or corn-fed beef or cows that are fed pigs, even though they're kosher. I'm just saying that that the reality is is that the rabbis are not concerned with your health. I mean, you should be healthy, but that's up to your judgment. Their their rules are not health rules. That's my take on what a, everything from cash root. It's not a health diet. It's a holy diet.
1: For sure, agreed, and I think that's something again that like I, I think for me has been important as I said, a more halacha and reach food. Is that like again like the rabbis are just. Like I said, like the rabbis are just giving us, even the rabbis of today are only giving us an answer to the halakha question being asked. They're not saying, we're not saying Rabbi Nevins, should we be eating GMOs? We're saying Rabbi Nevins, are we allowed to eat GMOs? Um, And so I think that's something like important to remember for me, for sure, um, of like, what are the boundaries and the limits of what we can learn from the rabbis and what do we have to find other teachers and other sources of wisdom um, to teach us? So I just want to read this final, um, kind of this final answer from Rabbi Nevins. this last paragraph. I'm going to read the whole thing in English. Um, so most modern methods of genetic engineering, excuse me, are not directly comparable to the actions forbidden as kiline by the Bible and rabbinic literature. Since recombinant DNA, gener- which is the way they do DNA hybrids, generally includes just snippets of foreign genomes that function as widgets in their recipient. Even if the creation of transgenic organisms were to be considered halakhically equivalent, based on a values-informed analysis to the forms of kilayim forbidden by our tradition, the fruits of such efforts would be permitted after the fact, bidhyevid. And even before the fact, lahat the motivation to save human lives and enhance health with therapies that use genetic engineering to combat cancer, feed the rapidly expanding human population, or produce medications would suffice to permit that which might otherwise be forbidden. Um, so it really comes back to it's interesting to like really see this follow what what Rambam was saying. A doctor, Rambam was saying all these years ago that like for sure in the case of medicine it doesn't apply. Um, and to really apply that and say like we have um, we have it was a thing that was sort of permitted after the fact, and it benefits so much that we now can do it before, and that's okay. Um, And I think it's really interesting to take this thing that feels this is something I really love about Halafa, is to take something like that's this one piece in 74 things that you just read. um, And like, really, what are the modern questions that are being asked and answered about this ancient text? And how do we find it in relevance in our lives? Um, And so I hope next time you um, eat some. Seedless watermelon or honey crisp apples um, Or you leave something sitting on your shelf A little longer than you expected and it's still fine um, I hope you consider that the rabbis say It's okay, you can enjoy that honey crisp apple um, And the apple a day Will keep your uh, will keep your doctor away
0: You have been listening to Another in our series of podcasts From Temple Bethon, A dynamic center for conservative Judaism In Los Angeles If you enjoy these podcasts We invite you to write a review On the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.